<laughs> at some point, at some point, I was less ready than this. So fair enough. At least there's that. I mean, we're going in the right direction. At least, could we be more ready? Probably, but absolutely. We're going to get into it. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number 34 of the Goulet Pencast, where fountain pens are still a thing. I am Brian Goulet. And I am Drew Brown. And we are here from Goulet Pens to deliver this casual and informal, tangential and extraneous, superfluous and extemporaneous fountain pen show where we talk about what's going on at the Goulet Pen Company and in our fountain pen lives. In today's show, we have some really fun feedback to go through, and plenty of it. We're going to talk about what makes pens classic, when to graduate from a steel to a gold nib, which pens that we would have other pen companies design if we could, a little cross-pollination there. Uh, we have some cool piston maintenance hacks to talk about, and we are going to highlight the Pilot Custom Heritage 92. Give that a little love. So it's going to be a really fun-packed show today. Hope you all enjoy it as we kick it off with some feedback. And we had a lot of great feedback and actually some debate this week, Brian. Debate? Yes, there were some feelings. Was there really feelings. any debate? I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, not not people weren't debating each other, but there were contrary opinions abound. I don't know about that, and Drew. I think you might be mistaken contra- about that. Oh, I see what you're doing. Mm. He's debating me. Mm. You see this? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's hilarious. It well, a, Brian. It took him a second to pick up on it. You like that? Yeah. <laughs> it's all good, man. All right. It's going to be fun. It is. The debate was between the smell of Noodler's pens and whether or not the triple tail smells specifically. Hmm. Um, some people said, absolutely, triple tail do stank. And then some people say, no, triple tail smells amazing compared to other uh Ahabs and creepers. Uh, though I think that there was one person who had the right idea, and I agree with this. The filling mechanism inside the triple tail is the same as the Ahab, and that thing mm. do indeed stank. Um, Interesting. So, so I think that when it's closed, mm. it's probably not bad, but you crack that bad boy open and you're going to get a whiff. You know, that makes sense why there would be such debate about it, because sometimes it smells and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. In fact, Brian, there were a surprising amount of individuals out there in fountain pen world who love the smell of Noodler's pens, like the ripe ones. I'm not surprised. Like, it's, it's, I tell you, it's like one of those things that you don't want to like it, but yeah. you just keep smelling but there are, it. And then, and, then, and then there are people who throw it away. Like, there are stories of both. Like, I, it's so polarizing. People are like, oh, man, I love the Noodler smell. Send One person literally says, send them to me. For, send your stinky pens to me. Wow. And then some people were like, as soon as I got it, I threw it in the garbage. I couldn't stand it. <laughs> so it's 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 all over the place. Hmm. And another uh, source of debate was uh, the question we threw out of, uh, is the Lamy 2000 overrated or not? It's a super popular pen. Mm. So, you know, just about anything that's super popular is going to have some strong <clears throat> opinions. And um, a lot of people said that, you know, overrated maybe a little bit it's not for me i I think it's a good pen you know i'm glad it's out there but me personally i don't like the design i don't like the way it feels etc they had very valid reasons for you know why it's not for them but there weren't anybody um like totally trashing it um just a couple couple people did say it was uh overrated but the majority of folks i think 
you know, agreed that it was, you know, it deserves its reputation, which I think makes sense. You could pretty much argue that for any, like, well-liked pen or any sports team or any car or any wine, whatever. There's, you know, not everybody's going to love everything. Right. One of my favorite comments um, was actually from a slice that we recently put out. That was an older PenCast Q&A topic where where we talked about flex nibs. And we specifically mentioned the Pilot Custom 912 FA nib as a flex nib. But Brian and I, in our experience anyway, both felt like that nib required some personal adaptation on the part of the writer or user and brian asked me like hey drew what do you do you think that a pen should conform to you or do you think you should conform to the pen and you know it was a good good topic so pedro um mentioned from that slice if you get a porsche 911 you have to conform to it if you buy a ferrari 488 you also have to conform to it so if you get a finicky flex nib why not conform to it you must be like a flex nib flexible and i love that analogy brian i think that's fantastic because a lot of folks still believe like hey if this thing doesn't write the way i write it is a failure of a pen and if you feel that way totally cool there's a there's a pen out there for you don't worry but i thought that that analogy was very appropriate because if you did spend you know hundreds of thousands of dollars on you know the most pricey sports car it's not just going to automatically drive the way you're used to driving no not at Um, all it's going to drive the way it drives yeah so it got me thinking and obviously porsches and fountain pens aren't the same exact thing but you know they do have their own habits and tendencies you could Uh, you could argue that fountain pens are like you know uh proportional to what other pens cost and are involved in maintenance and all that you could argue that fountain pens are like the performance like the high-end performance vehicles of the pen the the writing world right like they're they're obviously not as expensive as a car but proportionally you could argue that they are yeah i really like that analogy so uh shout out to um pedro for that one that was really solid yeah and then finally i wanted to give a shout out to kevin because kevin left a message on youtube saying i have been a goulet customer from the beginning i watched the podcast each week and very much enjoy them one question for Mr. Brown. Have you ever counted the number of times Mr. Goulet has said, you know, in each podcast? Un- LOL. It's uncountable. No, I have not. But honestly, Kevin, I think that he and I might be pretty neck and neck, you know, because, you know, I say, you know, <laughs> like, you know, a lot of a lot of times, you know, yeah. um, I mine might not be so obvious because they're basically like punctuation to me. You know, hmm. it's just they're really quick right at the end. You know, like I can't hmm. stop it. I say it all the time i'm trying to be better but i think he and i both have uh have our little things in there absolutely i mean it's pretty uh, it's but i pretty normal to have some kind of i don't know what's a verbal tick or whatever the heck you know i don't know what it is but there's uh, some people have whether it's ums or saying you know or various things like that we all have something that we go as a default that's a placeholder for when we're forming a thought but yet the words are not yet there at the front of our mouth so our mouth yeah. just goes to a default blah, 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 phrase that <laughs> let's do that let's do that now blah, 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 instead <laughs> it's not distracting um, at all i did want to i did want to say that uh, kevin was indeed right he's been with us since 2010 and uh, the goulet pen company yeah. was not even recognizable it's, it's at infancy. that point yeah like you just got your LLC in 2009, right? 
Yeah. I mean, we we consider our actual anniversary, the, the first shipment of fountain pen wares that we had was November 17th, 2009. So basically right at the end of the year there. So 2010 is really when things were were happening for us yeah so kevin was really here from the beginning so that i just thought wild. that was really amazing thank it's you wild. for sticking with us for that long kevin thank um, you. how many and how many you knows have you probably heard over the last 12 years <laughs> kevin i mean just so many so many thanks for sticking with us solid yeah um got some other what you got brian yeah i got some feedback too this is from thu um brian describes various arduous giant puzzles and getting stuck in the mud as fun drew you keep using that word i do not think it means what you think it means <laughs> little, yes uh, little... you were talking about all this stuff that you considered fun while well, it just sounded miserable to me yes inconceivable we have we have yeah very very good uh movie quote there we have we have we have different definitions of fun we that's do. for sure no yeah. no debate about that yeah um drew thinks it's fun to wear pants in the summer and i think it's practical to only buy full pants and not half pants that cost almost as much I think you should buy pants that have as many pockets as possible so that you're getting you your get, money's you can, worth If too. you wanted to, do you know how many, if you wanted to find <laughs> like a G, like pants that were laden with pockets, sir, mm-hmm. you're going to be able to have so much more options. Have you considered that? Like it's just a utility, utility pants? Utility pants? I mean. With pockets like all the way down at the bottom, like near your calves. I'm sure you could find them. I have some utility pants that I wear when I'm doing all my outdoor adventures. There I'm keeping go. like utility you, knives and uh you know my keys i just said you know I it's like it wearing it's like wearing <laughs> it's like wearing a backpack on your legs i like that yeah i would think you would but yeah. yet here you are all, all all shorts purist on me i'm not a shorts purist i'm wearing pants D- right you're now. dissing my you're dissing my pants 365 strategy i mean i think it's a good strategy for you that's all i'm saying you know, it's different to you than it is to me and to each of their you own. Like, you like pockets, so I'm just saying. This is your avenue to more pockets. I like pockets. Yeah, I'm not a fan of the... <laughs> right now, I'm just wearing regular, just regular stupid jeans with regular oh, pockets. Oh, no. Oh. And part of it is I hate having stuff in my back pockets. So like a what big, thick wallet and stuff like that. I don't like that. So really, I'm... Bri- Brian's like the, pockets, the last... Two front pockets. That's it. And it's just they're bulging. Brian's the last, like, connoisseur of the carpenter jean with, like, the hammer loop. Yeah. Like... The man has to find yeah, and you got those little hammer pockets on the, on the G- side for the pliers. You can <laughs> stick all kinds of stuff in there. You great pen pockets. You can fit pens in there. there. Go. It's like it's on the side of your leg. It's not, you know, right at your like hip where you sit down and everything's getting all scrunched up. And you're, maybe it's because I got a big gut too. So my <laughs> my gut kind of like crunches onto my keys and everything else. And if I have pens in there, I have to like make sure they're well, not like welcome to your thirties. Straight up and down. Yeah. We're all we're all there. Late thirties here wow. at this point. But anyway, I know, I know. <laughs> Uh, I got some feedback from Oscar saying, I'm surprised no one in the comments caught Omicron plumage. That's the name of my new band. That's when I was talking about my haircut getting out of control was my That's uh, pretty my brilliant. Omicron I plumage. like that. It is a good one. I appreciate that. It's a good band name. Yeah. Uh, some other feedback. Got lots of appreciation for having another team member on the show. BK joined us last week, which is awesome. Uh, as well as appreciation for the info on the Bay State Blue. Uh, some of you said that you're now even ready to give it a shot. So it's been nice knowing you. Uh, you know, hope you. Uh, I'm just kidding. Oh I'm just, come on! I'm just exacerbating the, come on. the, the rumors. Um, Dustin said, "I love Bay State Blue. I'm so glad Brian brought it up in the uh, the diluted bleach solution. That's always my tip to anyone with Bay State phobia. Love the cast, y'all. And then, oh boy, Loke thinks by 
Brian is no, no. L L L O L K. Thanks, bye. L O L K. Thanks, bye. Okay, it was spelled all yeah. interesting. Okay, cool. I like that. Uh, Brian is right on the money. My sort of guy. I've used base. This is the other Brian. Uh, I've used base state blue in five dollar to hundred dollar pens, even vintage pens. Never had much of a problem with it. And any staining is kept in the converter and cleaned out with some light bleach. There you go. And CC, I guess wanted everybody to hear about this. Ha. <laughs> After watching this, I repaired my stained VAC 700 and made it a dedicated Bay State Blue pen. Absolutely love having this always at hand now. That's a good pen to have a de dedicated color. Not necessarily Bay State, but basically anything. Because it's got such a high ink capacity, and if we got to be honest, that pen is more of a pain to clean than most. Any vacuum pen is just a lot of pumping, pumping, dumping going on with yeah. cleaning that out. Though I will say with the Twisby, though, you can unscrew the mechanism out of the back and then use a bulb syringe to flush it out. A little life hack there makes it way easier. So that's the feedback we got for this week. That was plenty. And now we're going to move on to some new stuff. We finally, finally, after, I don't know, six months, eight months, something, have the, the full assortment of the Pelican Twist pens that we originally ordered. We've been missing the black one all along. But we finally got it back in. So now we have that. It's the first time we've ever had it. It's a black pelican twist. So it's not anything revolutionary, but, you know, black's pretty universal pen. It's kind of like a matte black, too. It's nice, nice color. All those colors have kind of a matte finish to them. Yeah, um, kind of a, I think, a, a satiny, right? That's kind yeah, of like, yeah. like between matte and glossy is satin. Uh, yeah, or you can have semi-gloss or you can have eggshell. There's a lot of different things. Well, yeah, in terms of. If you're yeah. going with like paint sheens here, yeah, it used to be like three or four of them. Now there's like seven or eight. I can't even keep yeah, track a lot. anymore. I'm like, this is there's like semi semi eggshell. This is too many options, folks. Quasi quasi satin. Like there's already it's already hard enough to pick a paint color. I don't know a sheen. I don't know what's the difference. Yeah, semi satin gloss. I don't know. Whatever, just one. It's fine. Uh, anyway, that has nothing to do with anything. So we have the Pelican Twist in black. It's a medium nib only, though the pen writes really smoothly. Standard International takes a short and a long. Uh, doesn't come with a converter, but you can add one. We we have a special special converter for that. Yeah, it it's, it works best with the Pelican converter. Yeah, with the Standard International converter, you can get it in there, but it kind of needs to be held in place with yeah. the back of the pen. And precarious enters the verbiage in that situation. You like the life on the edge, use a non-Pelican converter. Now, it, it'll fit fine, but the other one fits a little better. So, yeah. Um, 24 bucks uh, and a little extra for the converter if you want to get that. And then we also have a Conklin All-American, pretty popular pen style in general. We have a special edition called the Blue Demo. Uh, so it's a translucent blue, like a mid-range blue color with, uh, I don't know, maybe like 50% translucency. Pretty, pretty solid, dedicated translucent, but also very, very blue. Uh, that's a uh, rose gold trim as well. So that looks pretty toit. Uh, 100 bucks for that one. Converter is included. You got a good range of nib sizes. These are the Yovo German number six size nibs. Extra fine through 1.1 stub and an Omniflex in there as well. So this is a great pen for like mid to larger size hands. Great, especially for those who maybe have some like hand issues, arthritis, these types of things. It comes up regularly as a good pen for those who um, need a larger pen that doesn't weigh quite as much. This one falls into that category, sort of like the, the Edison Collier, um, you know, kind of falls into that group too. So I think it's a, it's a great one for those who are using it kind of as a daily writer. So yeah, kind of cool to see. I'm, I'm always a fan of new blue pens coming out. You know me, Drew. 
I do. Give me, you like give some me blue. blue. Give me that blue. All right. Uh, same thing as what Brian said. All the nib options and whatnot. Apply that to the new Conklin Endura Deco Crest. These pens are of three different colorways, all with the same sort of Yovo nib situation and converter situation that Brian just mentioned for the blue demo. However, this is pretty new in terms of the visuals. This uh, colorway has three different combinations. We've got a rose gold overlay on blue acrylic. We've got a uh, silver and steel overlay on black acrylic. And then finally, we've got a black overlay on orange acrylic. So three very different looking pens. And it's an overlay pen. So our first overlay pen in in a while. In a while. No, we had the, I, I, yeah. we had the Viscani watermark. But that pen was like that's true. That pen was that's true. Well over a thousand dollars. Yep, you're um, right. You're right. So, so that, um, definitely the most accessible yeah. overlay pen we've ever had. That is and true. It's from Conklin. Conklin mm-hmm. uh, has done overlay stuff before in the past with their Crescent Filler models. So this is this is definitely a thing for their brand, and we're excited to carry it again. This one also, like the All Americans, going to be one hundred dollars. And uh, Brian, what do you? What is your favorite of these? Are, you you ch- you generally like a blue pen, as we just said. However, I do, but I don't like how the overlay is covering up some of the blue. I don't know. I'm kind oh, of, how I'm dare offended it! Offended by that? How um, dare it? So so the black and orange though, right? Come on. The black and orange is pretty cool. I'm not gonna that lie. That is pretty cool. It's pretty cool. That, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. When I was looking at these, that one actually kind of. <gasps> Took me back a little yeah. bit. That one was impressive. They all look really pleasant to me, and they're very different from each other, too, which I, I like really that. like. Yeah, they're very different. And each one has a different overlay color. So, I mean, this, the design is the same on all of them, but the overlay is a different finish on each one. So I, I think it's really nice that they tried to do a very different version on each one of these. So, you know, who knows? I don't know if it's something that they're going to kind of keep doing or do new ones. I'm sure if it's popular, they'll come out with new colors because... You know, they could easily do that. Um, so, yeah, I'm very curious to see how these are received, especially for the price. Like overlay pens, most of the overlay pens I've seen are either like custom made, which are really expensive, or on like limited editions over $1,000 from companies like Biscani, or they're vintage and kind of hard to come by and usually $500 plus. So, yeah. really haven't seen a lot of very accessible overlay pens. You know, I think it's going to appeal to people who are more in like the collector kind of vintage like that vibe um so i don't know how a new more accessible overlay pen will gel with that and if it's appealing to those who like newer pens i don't know i'm very just very curious to see how you all receive them but they they're like very sturdy i was i was i was concerned that holding it that it would feel like really cheap and flimsy and like you'd be able to bend the overlay and all that kind of stuff but no it's it's very solid feeling so i was pleasantly surprised so was i but I was even more, well, no, I guess I wasn't more surprised, but I'm excited, very, very excited that we are going to have some new stickers available here at the Goulet Pen Company. So prior to now, you, if you had wanted to, could take the opportunity to buy PenCast-specific inside jokey stickers on our spring.com storefront, which is just kind of where we have some miscellaneous uh, branded items and things like that. However, we got some of those in, and uh, here's the barnacle sticker, by the way, and it's pretty pretty gigantic. Pretty, pretty sizely. Pretty, pretty sizely, and we didn't get an option to change the size. Mm-hmm. And if you're trying to you know, wrap this around a mug or something like that, like what, what, this, this is going to have gonna, to go around. It's going to dominate. Yeah, it's going to you know, almost circumnavigate said vessel. 
So we decided let's go ahead and just go with the sticker company we already use for the, you know, in-order stickers, and we'll get those up on the website so that you don't have to go to a different website if you want to pick those up. And we thought while we're there, which, by the way, new barnacle, spring barnacle. So we like this one a little bit better. The quality is a little bit better. The resolution's nice, and the size is much more realistic. So you can get this. Um, but we know, can get, we know you are like an OG Pengas fan if you have the huge sticker because that one you're only yes. going to be able to get through spring. Yep, and we'll probably uh, we'll probably not do those on the spring.com store anymore. Um, there's really no reason to. I don't know. I've, I've been surprised how many people have bought the stickers. Yeah, that's as they true. Are. Well, th- th- you're going to have a better option. Also, the um, <laughs> the Pencast sticker um, as opposed to the um, Spring.com sticker. Uh, so slightly smaller, mm-hmm. better resolution. Um, it's what like a three inch versus a four inch sticker, basically. Yeah, yeah, it looks good. Just to go with um, actual dimensions. And there's Barney and friends there. <laughs> so if you'll remember, this uh, came about because Brian called them ink crustaceans when we were describing the clumpy dye sediment issue that sometimes happens on top of nibs Mm -hmm. and then a youtube commenter mentioned uh something about them being called a barnacle then brian took the barnacle comment and you know coined the barney the barnacle term and then another youtube user created a draft that looked kind of like this we edited a little bit got a sticker made up and here it is marvelous um and then of course we have to mention the turkey hammock itself this one is now also going to be available on the website is that the first one we uh, did is that the one that kicked it all off yes this was the first sticker um and uh this uh story was such uh it was um basically brian and i wanted to find out how many people were still listening listening to us at the bitter end of a pencast where we were just rambling just nonsense back when uh, we thought an hour and a half podcast was long (laughs) yeah so i so i just said yeah if you're uh i came up with turkey hammock and brian was like hey if you wanted to Show show us that you've been listening the whole time. We're curious. Say Turkey Hammock in the comments. And my God, a bunch of people of said people. Turkey Hammock. We were we were pretty pretty uh, flabbergasted. And even to this day, we'll still get Turkey Hammock in the comments for a little um, for a little uh, symbol that uh, denotes you have listened to the very very end when we are talking mm-hmm. about nothing important at all. So if you have done that in a while, we haven't done that in a while. Maybe we should do that again. Ha ha. No, we'll have to see. Um, if uh, you have listened to the end, you deserve to uh, fly your turkey flag. Mm. And then finally, um, actually, you know what? Yeah. Finally, we are going to be adding a new sticker to the mix. I'm really, really excited about this one, Brian. Um, do you want to uh, give a quick little um, short story on this final one, Brian? Which one are you talking about? This is a new one. Yeah. Oh, we can give a brief synopsis. I mean, those of, you were there. I wasn't. Those of you who are Pencast uh, listeners have heard the full story. Basically, Rachel and I were eating at Bojangles, one of Drew's favorite restaurants. Um, they're known for their Bowberry biscuits, but they also have just regular biscuits. Um, mm. Rachel and I were partaking, which we very rarely eat there, but we happened to make this iconic memory at one of these places. And uh, yeah, Rachel was eating her meal and she had her biscuit and she was saving it you know she likes to save her favorite food of whatever meal whatever treat that she may be enjoying she saves her favorite thing to the end so that she eats it at the end you know she's got the patience and emotional intelligence to do so um i literally don't know whether i do that on a regular basis i don't know if i usually eat the thing i like first probably no no i don't think i do that i think i save it to the end as well because i i'm never going to not have room for the thing that i want to eat the most i'm going to force it and be in pain if i have to to eat that thing that i really want 
So I usually save mine to the end. But anyway, so when I asked Rachel, I was like, hey, are you, you know, are you going to eat that? Because I wanted to eat her biscuit, as I always <laughs> offer offer up so generously to help whoever oh. I'm dining with to finish off their food. Selfless. Because I'm a human garbage disposal. And um, she said, no, I want to end on a biscuit. So that has become the phrase iconically around Goulet pens of when you want to save the best thing to the end is you want to end on a biscuit. Or go out or go out with a bang or just, you know, yeah, you want to like end on end on a high note. End on a high note. Yeah. George Cassandra style. Um, so there you go. End on a biscuit. That's how we did a sticker about it. That's the whole story. And there it is. It's in this awesome, awesome format. <laughs> if you want to emblazon your beverage vessel or notebook with something to remind you to go out with a bang emblazon, or just eat or, or just beverage vessel i love that phraseology or, or or just like this could just be a reminder to eat more biscuits like that's what i'm going to take it as i'm just going to say like have you been to have you been to bojangles recently and i do want to mention when we are uh, talking about biscuit this is the american style biscuit which is basically a really hmm. fluffy scone um Good point. Uh, but, not, uh, not a biscuit like I think the Euro- not a, European we UK. Call them, yeah, those are cookies. Yeah, we call them cookies over here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is, uh, it, it might look like a scone, but it's fluffier and much more unhealthy. Yeah. Um, mm, more unhealthy than a cookie? I don't know about that. No, no well, a scone, I, I don't know how much butter. No, scones, scones are pretty are pretty buttery. bad. Yeah, <laughs> you're right, you're bad. right. Yeah, they are. Okay, well. Anyway, and then we're also adding a bunch more. So um, we've got this awesome heavy metal uh, fountain pen thing that uh, some really, really awesome guy drew. Mm. Um and then this one was a, a freebie. Now it's going to be for sale. So if you wanted this right on mm-hmm. logo, yep. you can get that now. And then the famous Emerald of Chicken sticker is now going to be for sale. Again, previously mm-hmm. available as a freebie. And Ellie Goulet's famous turtle is going to be available for sale as well. <laughs> if you don't want to wait to get one randomly in your order. There you go. And then we've got two new stickers. A tribute to Hammy. The hamster holding a rose gold Twisby Eco. So Hammy's going to be available. And then we have a, another one. Both of these were by Inky Converters on Instagram. And this is a Pilot Oroshizuku bottle of Sukiyo mm. uh, Moonlight. So you've got a nice little moonlit scene there. And all of these should be on sale by time this pencast airs or very, very, very shortly Surely after. So keep your eye out on that. Yeah. I can't remember, Drew. Did we end up doing the stickers bigger than the freebies i can't remember if it's the exact Correct. same yeah we did them slightly Correct, bigger yeah. yeah so the freebies we the freebies we have that you get with the order they're slightly smaller these ones will be a yeah, little bit like, bigger just so you know yeah here's the uh freebie and here's the uh here's a, it's actually yeah. quite bigger yeah we wanted it to be like meaningful yeah you know you're paying for so it you'll get you'll <laughs> get more bang for your buck and then yeah. if you get a duplicate it's not like you're getting the exact same thing exactly exactly there we go Thanks, Drew, for showing that. All right. Yeah, that's the new stuff. Cool. All right, let's bounce on over into the Q's and A's. All right, our first Q and A, Brian, comes to us from our old friend David, who, if you remember last week, decided to besmirch the name of Lamy 2000. The Ah. notorious David, yeah. You know what? You know what? I I do have to say that um, I, I, I feel remiss because I didn't, Someone in the comments just responded, "Ew, David," and <laughs> as like a Shit's Creek reference, which I was like, "Oh, I should have." How mm. did I not Alexis him? So uh, yeah, that was that was a good one. Nice. I, I laughed out loud at that. Okay, so David comes back and says, "Hi, Drew. Hi, Brian. 
Having enjoyed this pencast whilst sitting in a corner with my head bowed, thinking about what I said yes. about the Lamy 2000. As you should. <laughs> a question sprang to mind. What makes a fountain pen a classic or an icon? Is it the design? Is it how well it sells? Hmm. Is it its functionality? Or is it some mystical other thing? I felt like we needed to listen to David this week since we hmm. kind of, since, since, since I kind of roasted him last week. So, um, I actually thought this was a really good question, regardless of my guilt uh, for um, roasting David. But uh, Brian um, added some thoughts here. I did, yeah. So I, uh, well, as I always do when I want to really make something official, I look it up on Wikipedia and then read the definition. Webster's Dictionary defines it as. <laughs> no, but I thought it was pretty pertinent. I was like, what does classic even mean? I was like, I think I know what classic means, but what does it actually mean kind of in this context? I thought it'd be helpful when kicking it off. So of course I look it up on a questionably reliable source, Wikipedia. Um, so a classic is an outstanding example of a particular style, something of lasting worth or with a timeless quality of the first or highest quality class or rank, something that exemplifies its class. So I thought that was helpful in defining what makes a pen classic. Um, you know, it is a word that gets thrown around quite a bit, not just in the pen world, but all over the place. It's a, it's a word I've thrown around a lot when I talk about certain pen designs and, you know, what, you know, certain brands that tend to have a more classic look or classic offering in their color range or something like that. But there really isn't a strict definition of what that is in the pen world. So I thought it was at least helpful to talk about it. I don't know that we're going to actually define it and come to some meaningful conclusions today, but I guess we could and then just declare it and who's going to stop us, right? Because we have two microphones and we're two people jawboning on a podcast talking about pens. Well, I guess, if, if, I guess it falls to me alone to disagree with everything you're about to say then, doesn't it? I guess it does, doesn't it? Mm. If you can. All right. But we'll see. Um, I'll do my best. Yeah, so what what pens are classic? That was what was on my mind. I think it's very firmly up for debate, Um, especially with a 150-year history. I think classic could be something that's interpreted with a varying range of perspective, right? Um, Depending on if you're talking about something like video games, right? A classic video game only goes back so far fountain pens are much older than video games right so something that's classic in video games might be 20 years old whereas in fountain pens 20 years old that pen is probably still being made as it is today and hasn't now been redesigned so is it still a classic if it hasn't even been changed so i think that's up for debate um i don't know what age we should consider something to be classic i think maybe at least 10 years old like it has if if a pen's not 10 years old it's really hard to call it a classic with 150 year history it could probably even go older than that quite honestly 20 years maybe i don't know i don't know these things i'm not a big vintage guy so i don't really know where the line tends to be drawn there when does a pen even become vintage to be honest with you we talk about vintage pens does that mean it's discontinued not available anymore? brian this is the this is the answer part not the the, the question's already been answered uh, uh, asked so we your your job is to now answer oh shoot well, yeah, we are yeah. we are in Sorry. trouble. This is the Sorry. this is the blind leading the blind, <laughs> right here. Um, I don't really know. I'm 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 I'm, I'm asking rhetorical questions, sort of. I know, I know. I'm just giving you a hard time. So I would say I would say if you have thoughts about this, or if you, especially if you are bigger into like the collector vintage world, and you're like, yeah, people that are really into vintage pens, 
you really don't consider something vintage or classic or whatever until XYZ. There may be some parameters around that that I'm not as familiar with, just being honest. I don't know everything about pens, though I do know a lot of some things. Um, so I think it's uh, the, the comments could definitely help guide us here. Um, I do think, going back to some of David's follow-up questions, I think sales or popularity has to be a factor. I don't think you can just have some radical one-off pen that was designed that nobody bought that was for some trade show or some whatever event <laughs> you know like there's other things like the i'm thinking of the you know there's like concept cars you know is a concept right. car that's never in production is that really something you can call a classic it needs to be kind of its own category right so it's kind of the same thing if you have you know an independent pen maker who makes one crazy one-off pen or five pens you know, in one instance. And is that really a classic? So I, I don't think, I do think that some element of popularity availability has to, to be in the debate. Um, though it's not the only factor, of course. Um, I think it's got to have something iconic about it that makes it recognizable from other pens or distinguishable from other pens. Something where you can point to that pen and say, that is a distinctive characteristic of that pen. Whether it's, you know, it could be part of the name, it could be the design or when it came out, you know, it could be iconic, could be a filling mechanism, could be material. It could be a number of different things, but I think it's got to have something distinguishable about it. Um, some element of uniqueness or innovation, um, or maybe even some relevance as like a period of history or as a part of a conversation of a societal era or movement or something like that. I think there's a lot of things that we could consider classic, you know, I'm thinking like specifically of cars right like the 57 chevy you know is classic because of crap i'm falling off the cliff of what i know about cars but you know it's it's regarded as like one of the best cars shoot i don't know where i am drew help <laughs> you can't help me out i'm just gonna i can't grab onto him as i'm drowning I, was, I just said you should i just said you should talk about the lobby 2000 you 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 decided to go deep i did didn't i why am i doing this i don't even know why i'm here <laughs> Okay, so really it's something that society has to define, so it's always evolving. There's no firm definition of what's classic or what's not. So um, I think we can call something classic. doesn't mean that everybody has to like it. doesn't mean that it has to be indisputable. In fact, it is impossible to have something indisputable because by its very nature, it is not firmly defined. It's always up for debate. So specifically around the Lamy 2000, I would argue that it is considered a classic, for several reasons. One is that it remains today a top-selling pen and a highly regarded, highly reviewed pen. Though not a favorite for everyone, a lot of the things that people have against it are personal preference reasons or just things that they don't like about it. It's not that it's a poor quality pen or a bad design or anything like that. The pen itself has not changed. It's just a matter of do people like it or not. Um, so, you know, it's been around for over 50 years has barely changed any in its design since its inception, still looks like a futuristic yet classic pen. It's also just very kind of indicative of like the Bauhaus design. It's tied firmly with the Lamy brand, very recognizable to Lamy as a Lamy pen. Um, and it's gotten numerous awards and recognition for various design and things like that that are not even specific to the pen world so there has been objective if you could call design awards objective there are non-fountain pen people that have called this pen 
you know, some element of iconic in its design. So I think there are a lot of reasons to consider a Llama 2000 a classic, even if it's not the pen for you. So I think every, probably every pen brand that's around today has something that you could probably consider classic or iconic for that, that brand, whether or not they necessarily designed it to be that way. Cause as I was talking about this, as I was thinking about this in my head, I was like, we usually call things flagship, right? Like you have flagship products, or, you know, if you have a, a, a retailer that has a whole bunch of stores, you usually have a flagship store, like Apple has their New York City store, that's their flagship store or whatever. It's usually something that's really big, expensive, showy, it's meant to be the biggest and craziest thing. I don't think that necessarily the flagship pen within a brand is necessarily like the classic or iconic pen for that brand, you know? Would you would you argue, argue that, Drew? Like, I thought, I, yeah, I think that they can be different. Yeah, like I would consider like the Pelican M1000 as being the, you know, flagship pen of theirs, but is the M1000 the classic or iconic pen that they have? I don't know if I I'm... mean really they're all just kind of the same at different sizes. Shh. No, they're all very different, Drew. <laughs> I would argue like the M600 maybe is a little more of a classic pen in that sense than the M1000 because they are similarly designed, but it's much more popular. They've done a lot more versions of it and different special editions and things. Um, so anyway, yeah. So I have a list of other pens, but I see that you have a list as well and I've already talked a lot. So I'm going to... No, 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 no. I think that you, I think our lists are different. Your lists are more historical. My lists are more modern. I did go, I specifically went a little different than you did. Yeah, go for it. With yours. Okay. So some other classic pens, I won't go deep into them, but I... I think Pilot has several, but I think the Falcon, I would consider that to be a classic pen within Pilot because it's been around for a while and it's it's got a unique nib. It's very recognizable um, and, uh, you know, within the Pilot line. Um, the Mont Blanc 149, that I think is very iconic. People that don't even know pens can usually see that pen and know that it's a Mont Blanc. Um, to that effect, you have other ones that are similarly designed to that in the classic styling, as I've literally said in many videos, um, pens like the Sailor 1911, right? Kind of similar-ish in style to the Mont Blanc 149, right? Um, the Pelican Souvron series, all of them, as Drew mentioned, is on my list. Uh, the Parker 51, the Parker Duofold, those are both pretty classic within the Parker's line. The Waterman 52, Waterman and Parker both and Schaefer, they've all been around for a very long time, so that you could probably name several pens you would consider classic or iconic from them. The Conklin Crescent, that was a very unique, very iconic pen of its time as well. So I think if you're looking historically, especially for very old pen companies, you're probably talking about pens that maybe aren't even made anymore. Um, but Drew picked some that we actually do still have, so he went a little more of like pens that we have that we might consider classics, right? Yeah, I would say that they're on their way to becoming classic, but I definitely mm. think there are iconic are iconic um, pens. Okay. Just, you know, if you're looking at ones that you could get right now that you could say are iconic for one yeah. reason. Like you mentioned before, I completely mm -hmm. agree. I think that to be iconic, you need to have a standout thing. Yeah. And the Visconti Homo Sapiens, the Bronze mm. Age, the classic one, at the time, it was a lava pen. It had the vacuum filling mechanism was available, but I think that it really popularized it. So you had two elements right there that broke out and became really popular. And even to this day, the Bronze Age Homo sapiens, you know, with that volcanic resin is immensely popular and still mm -hmm. a phenomenal seller. Yeah. Um, the Pilot Vanishing Point, that one is, it, it mm. took a 
outdated, completely unnecessary technology in the fountain pen. Let's be real. We all love it, but it's not necessary. <gasps> and then made it actually Blasphemy. practical. Like, so, so you took this, you know, piece of, you know, obsolete technology and incorporated new technology into it to actually bring it into the realm of functionality once again. So the Pilot Vanishing Point did something very, very special and absolutely deserves the iconic denotation, if not mm. the classic one. Um, so I just really love the fact that it kind of resurrected into the uh, practical space once again. The Pilot 823 is a unique one because while there was not a single uh, visible ele- visual element to this pen that's immediately set it apart, as time has gone on, this pen has been slowly rising in popularity. And the only thing I can say is that it is a good, well-made pen. And while it doesn't have this completely loud element to it if it is a really high quality pen that writes fantastically eventually it's going to get out there that it is just a darn good pen and people are going to buy it and i think that's what's happening every year that pen becomes more and more popular but gradually more and more popular just because of its own merits Mm. it works it's pretty and it's going to serve you well so that one is a really really interesting case um but that one i think that it is basically iconic because of its performance and i really think that that uh, is unique and then i added uh, twisby on here while not one pen you could probably go with the eco or the 580 in this case but if we're looking at the last decade 2010 to 2020 they were revolutionary and iconic in the way that they were able to, around the 2010 era, I think that we all saw a surge in fountain pen popularity uh, because of a new audience, a new level of interest surged into the community. And Twisby was at the forefront of that with their pens, chiefly the 580 probably. But they ushered that in, you know, with the assistance of a lot of interested people in a new demographic and age group that wanted pens like Twisby. And Twisby was there to help these people along in building this interest that we now see is more diverse than ever. So I have to, you know, you know, uh, take off my hat to Twisby for being there when the fountain pen industry needed them and continuing to be there. They also are probably the most self-disruptive fountain pen company in the industry consistently challenging their own innovative ideas with new innovative ideas and not being afraid of failure just trying new things in order to stay fresh and interesting and they've they've done it they've succeeded tremendously so um i think those groups um you can still buy pens from all of these Mm -hmm. and they're they're well on their way if this trajectory continues they're on their way to becoming, you know, so-called classics or icons, in my opinion. Yeah, classics in the making, yeah. Yeah, I would think so. I think, I think icon could be brand new, or it could be super, super old. It transcends Yeah, I would definitely consider age. these icons. Time yeah. will tell if classic gets there. Yeah, well, I'll have to watch this video in 10 or 20 years and see once... Yeah, Drew's gone completely bald, and I weigh mm. 100 pounds more than I do. I was about to say, I was like, man, look at all my hair. <laughs> That's right, <laughs> You can do that now. You can look back at 10-year-old videos and be like, wow. Oh, I know. I know. Yeah. No, that's how it goes, right? Circle of life. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Next question we have is from Where Me Who? Noodler's Lexington Gray in a Twisby Eco Extra Fine. The line seems thicker, but not sure if it is my mistake. Drew, what in the world is mm. going on here? This is an interesting one because I think... Lexington Gray is tricking you a little bit. Now, I am making some assumptions here, uh, where me who. I'm assuming that you have used this pen before, and with other inks, it's been fine. So 
hopefully that's the case um if that's not the case just try try a different ink or try a different uh, paper it might mm-hmm. just be something else mm-hmm. um but if you've used this pen before and you haven't seen this happening what is probably happening is that lexington gray is soaking into the paper faster than what you're used to normally with paper uh, sorry with inks that are super absorbent and dry really fast like lexington dries in like 10 seconds i love it it's one of my favorites for that mm-hmm. but anything that dries that fast is going to absorb that fast and depending on your type of paper usually that quick absorption causes feathering you know you'll see these kind of tendrils of ink kind of going outward from where you wrote however if it's not a very fibrous type of paper but is still absorbent you might not see that feathering very obviously what you're instead going to see is just a fat line so the same thing is still happening it's just not the feathering isn't that kind of traditional like you know kind of lightning bolt looking mm-hmm. feathering it's just kind of a, a widening of the line yeah I, so that could that I, can be tricky i'll call that uh, spreading you know, yeah, where it's yeah, not, it's exactly. not like the hairy caterpillar looking kind of feathering, right. but yes. it just, it literally just puts down a, a fatter looking line. Exactly. Yeah. So it, it's probably not your pen. It's probably the ink. It's probably the spread, just as Brian said. So I would try a different paper. Um, and then uh, if you are, if that's the paper you have, if you're at work or at school, and that's kind of just what you need to work with, sadly, Lexington is probably not going to be the optimal choice for that paper. So try something that uh, dries a little slower, which, I mean, Lexington's almost the fastest you can get. Um, it's right up there. So uh, pretty much any, anything but that should be okay for you. Yeah, I found that this is the case with a lot of the Noodler's Bulletproof inks. Not all of them, but a lot of them, they have that, you know, it quickly absorbs and you get a wider spread. You get a little flatter color, not quite as much shading mm. because it's absorbing into the paper quicker. Just something about the dye properties of that ink, whatever mystical properties that Nathan's Oompa Loompas are putting into that ink. Uh, I don't exactly know what, but I, I've noticed that as a trend. And, and that was especially evident when, gosh, 10 years ago now, we were testing different variations of Liberty's Elysium when we were first developing that with Nathan. Well, he sent us different formulations to, based on how bulletproof the ink was that we were trying to go for. And I was able to see very clearly, you know, the distinction of the more bulletproof he made it, the flatter it looked, the less vibrant the color was, the more it spread on the page because it was absorbing in. And I think you're going to get that with a lot of the, the bulletproof and eternal inks, basically the more permanent properties that are in the Noodler's ink specifically. And I think you get this a little bit with some of like the Diatromenus document inks too. I don't know if the properties are the same there or if this dyes are the same or whatever, because it's all mysterious. But um, I definitely think that uh, that could be a factor. And, and maybe the paper, like... The paper could be performing differently with these permanent inks than it would with non-permanent inks. Does that make sense? So like you can have some papers, papers are not necessarily universally equally absorbent for all different types of ink. If you have a paper that's a little more absorbent, some inks may be unnoticeable in terms of how much they absorb. Other ones like these ones that tend to absorb more may be more affected by the absorbency of certain papers. So a myriad of different factors that could be at play. There you go. That's right. Cool. Okay. Uh, question number three this week comes to us from Ethan. Mm. Sam, And Ethan says, my fine nibs keep splaying. What mm. am I doing wrong? And then he is literally crying. Crying here. emoji. We see, his, we see his bald yellow face. Mm. Um, it's rough. You know, 
That's an emoji. Never mind. Oh. Um, yeah, but uh, we can only surmise based on his emoji used mm. that Ethan was actively sobbing when he wrote this. Brian, can, help can, him, please. I can hear the tears. Yeah, yeah. This, this is uh, this is one of those ones where again we have so little context to go off of here. But I'm just going to make perhaps let's assume let's assume he's writing with these when they're splaying okay that's probably a pretty safe assumption if he's just okay. looking at them and they're splaying you your pens may be possessed you may that's have your some, fault ethan you may Stop. have some sort of paranormal activity at play and uh yeah you should partake in some kind of ritual maybe i guess i don't know <laughs> where you stand on all that but i think something supernatural is required <laughs> to to handle that um, no, I think uh, basically if, you're, if your nibs are splaying, there's really only one thing that causes that, and that's you. It's your fault. Like, you're causing that, so you should stop that. Um, no, I'm being, very I mean, rude. I'm being very rude here, but no, basically it's too much, too much writing pressure. That's really what's doing it, um, especially if you're not using a flex nib. If it's just a standard nib, you should not be bending those nib that those tines at all if you're actually splaying those nibs you have way too much writing pressure way too much you should not be putting any pressure on that nib at all basically a properly tuned nib should write just under its own weight so you're holding the pen and you're keeping it essentially at the proper angle rotation all that kind of stuff you want to keep it so that the pen's making proper contact but you're not assisting the ink to go onto the page and if you are, you're going to splay the nib at some point. And to what degree depends on how much pressure you're writing with it. Because nibs are not really made to be written with a whole ton of pressure. I mean, if you have a steel nib and it's, you know, fairly thick and stuff like that, yeah, you can write with some pressure and it can take it. But over time, you're going to weaken it because you're putting pressure on it. It really should not have a lot of added weight to it. The ink flows through with capillary action. It's going to flow through that the tines, you know, the ink is going to make contact with the paper, and that alone is going to allow that ink to flow through as it should. So my guess, probably, is what you're experiencing is because you and your subconscious want to be writing with a broader nib than what you have. Or you want your ink to be darker and more saturated than what it is. I know this because I experienced this for myself when I first started out in fountain pens. I love broad nibs. I love stubs. I love putting a lot of ink, really saturated colors. Even when I wasn't consciously aware of what I was doing, I was trying to make everything do that, whether it was made for that or not. And I found that, you know, my hand would cramp up more. My, you know, extra fine and fine nibs felt really scratchy. Then the, the ink seemed really weak when I was writing with finer nibs. When, in fact, they were doing exactly what they were designed to do, it's just the physical properties of writing with a finer nib don't lend themselves to putting as much ink on the page. It doesn't lend themselves to um, making the ink look as, as dark or as broad of a line. And I found that once I started writing with broader nibs, I lightened up on my pressure because I was my brain was perceiving what it wanted to see on the page. So I think that if you can lighten up on the pressure a lot... And the way that you can test this, you can sort of test. Now, if you've already kind of bent your nibs and you've got issues, then you may not be able to do this. But on, on, a, on a properly working fountain pen, you should be able to take, you know, a piece of paper or a pad, you know, something with some backing to it. And you should be able to hold the back of the pen and literally just be able to touch the nib onto the page. And then just under its own weight, you should be able to drag it across the paper like that. And you should see a line. This pen's not inked, so you're not seeing it. But... That's what you should be able to do. 
So that is the amount of pressure basically that you should be able to write with. So you got to lighten up on that pressure quite a bit and then you're gonna have much better experience. And this is something very common with new people to fountain pens because you come over from a lifetime of pencils and ball points and roller balls where literally friction and pressure is required to get those things to write. Fountain pens work differently, which is beautiful when you can finally get used to them because you your, your hand pressure is lighter. You, you can have, you know, less, um, of a grip on the, the writing instrument. So all the small muscles in your fingers can ease up a little bit. And then you can write more with your wrist, your elbow and your shoulder when writing with a fountain pen. Cause essentially all you're doing is stabilizing the pen and you're trying to control it, not trying to submit it to do your will, you know? And so I think if you're able to practice with a little bit more, maybe try a broader nib um, and see if that is more to your liking, then I think with a little bit of practice, you can do that. And then you're not gonna splay your nibs anymore. I actually, uh, twice now, I've, I've shown how fountain pens work by taking a straw, filling it with water, and plugging my finger at one end so the water didn't come out, mm. and, then using it, and then using a paper towel to, like, if you've got, if, if right at the end, you've still got water right there at the edge of the straw, you can just barely touch the straw to the paper towel, and the paper towel sucks ink right out, yeah. and then you can lift it up again, and it'll stop, but if you touch it again, it'll go again. Um, and yeah. that's, you know, that's a very extreme example of the, you know, physics behind fountain pens. It's same principle, but it's, though. A, it's essentially the same thing. Like, you, I don't have to, like, push that straw up against the paper towel. All the straw is, is, is a guide to get the water to the paper towel in that instance. So, you know, that's really what a fountain pen nib is, too. It's just a guide. It's like a tunnel, like an ink tunnel that you are moving around, like Brian said, to just control where the ink goes. The actual sending the ink to the paper is not under your control at all. All you need to do is just, you know, connect those two friends, your your temp, your 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 medium and your ink, and uh, they'll they'll do the job for you. You just need to guide it. It's it's a it's a partnership. Yeah. There you go. I believe all in right. you, Ethan. I believe in you. I think you can do it. Cool. All right. Next question is from Odin's Beard. If one brand had to design a pen for another brand. So I'm assuming like one one's designing it, the other one's making it, right? Okay, sure. Who would you pick and what's the pen like? Hmm. Mm. Odin's beard. Mm. Well, um, I've thought about this and I'm pretty excited to share my answer with Odin's actual facial hair. So my pick is going to be a Peniter design. So Peniter is helmed by, uh, I suppose you could call him a visionary, Dante Del Vecchio, um, founder of Visconti, designer of the Homo Sapiens and other iconic pens like that. Um, well, allegedly iconic. Um, but uh, yeah, anyway, um, I would want him, because he designs crazy fun stuff, and I would want him to design something to be made by Pilot. So essentially a crazy passionate Italian design manufactured with Japanese consistency, care, and patience. Mm -hmm. So um, a boundary pushing uh, filling system, something never before seen, something crazy, borderline impractical probably, something not necessary at all. I mean, I think that at this point, our filling mechanisms are pretty much as practical as they can get. Anything after this point is going to be 
probably impractical, but that's fine if it's fun. So never before seen filling mechanism. And then, so Dante obviously created the Homo sapiens while he was with Visconti, with Paniter. He is working on the alchemist now, which is you're not quite as volcanic, but it has some volcanic elements to it. I would want this pen to be like super volcanic, like an actual lava rock with like giant holes and pores in it. But with Pilot making it, I would want them to totally impregnate that thing with Urushi lacquer, clear lacquer that would permeate the entirety of that rock, giving it a nice smooth finish, but yet it would have all of the porous rocky details beneath those layers and layers and layers of Urushi. I think mm. that would be sweet. And of course, under that, a crazy wacky filling mechanism. Don't ask me how it's going to all get in there. Pilot will figure it out. Um, and then, of course, my favorite looking nib, the Paniter quill nib. I want that nib, but I want Pilot to make it. So pretty mm. much the same nib, but with, you know, you know, that Japanese care, attention to detail. Like, oh my God, can you imagine? That would be something else. That beautiful nib, but with Japanese precision. Mm. Yes, please do want. Give it to me now, Odin's beard. Thank you. It's a good choice. Brian? It's a good choice. Oh, it is. Yes, yeah. sir. I struggled with this one a little bit. <clears throat> I'm going to be honest. Uh, but I think I came up with something that's pretty interesting. It's very niche. Not a lot of people are going to be aware of it. Um, but one of the pens that I really like, and I just don't know where they are right now, just like in existence, uh, is Conid. Uh, oh, yeah. So, yeah, they've... Um, so Conid, they, they're like they're what, like aerospace engineers or something like that. I don't know. They are not primarily pen people, but there are some pen enthusiasts within their company that designed the Conid pens. Now, I know that as of the start of the pandemic two years ago, they basically, they were already so backlogged and they basically stopped taking new orders. So I don't know where they stand right now. But I love the design that they have. And their bulk filler this filling mechanism is so cool. And I have a Minimalistica pen of theirs, which is really, really cool. Um, but obviously, their capacity is not you know, anywhere near where they can actually make it. So I would love to see a Minimalistica bulk filler type design, but have you know a company like Pilot or Lamy or something. I, I don't think it's necessarily as crucial exactly who is the manufacturer but somebody with larger capacity you know that's known for high quality and things like that that could really do it justice i'm inclined to say like a pilot namiki type i would think of and somehow incorporating Yurushi and you know rodden and stuff like that into that filling mechanism would just be awesome um, but i could see lami doing a really good job too because they've got a very industrial kind of vibe to them as well so either one of those i think would do really well i probably would choose pilot namiki but you just talked about it a lot so i feel like he kind of owns that so no I, I no could, no I could but i would lami say that I, I would say that um it depends on if you want to be very different like i'm going from italian to japan you could just stick with uh, europe and go from mm -hmm. belgium to germany you know that's not not too far you know it's a little yeah. little, little jump there yeah but uh yeah that would be my choice and then maybe like the pilot uh i really like the nib on the um custom Urushi. so not quite that huge emperor nib but the slightly less huge but beautifully designed that number 30 size nib like what you have on the um you the uh yukari royale or on that custom Urushi, the big one uh i like that nib a lot and it writes amazing yeah. so i would two-tone two the two-tone yeah i would somehow cram that thing in there and try and make it work nice yeah 
All right, we got, cool. We got one more. All right. We do have one more, and this is from Miguel. And mm. Miguel asks, when to graduate from steel to gold nibs? Oh, that's such a good question. Mm. Such a good question. Um, this might sound a little weird starting off with a question like this, but I think it's important to say that you don't necessarily have to. You know, I think the maybe assumption with a question like this is that if you don't graduate that you're like not completing or something like that. I don't think that's the case. I, don't, I think it's years and years and years and years ago, there was a distinctly different, you know, level of quality and stuff like that between steel nib and gold nib pens. Gold was a lot cheaper decades ago in comparison to steel. The quality of steel and the steel alloys was a lot more hit or miss, wasn't quite as reliable. So you have a much higher quality steel nib with a much more expensive gold nib where perhaps the gap of performance and the gap of quality between steel and gold has shrunk while the price has ballooned between That's very well said. Thank you. Um, that's something that we was in effect when we first got into this business over a decade ago, it was already in effect and it's only gotten stronger. So I think the assumption based on years and years and years and years and years of you know, assumptions that gold nibs are better. I think some of that is up for debate, you know, as to whether you have to graduate to gold nibs to have a successful fountain pen experience. I, I mean, I do think there's a lot to appreciate with gold nibs, but I don't necessarily think that you have to go to gold nibs to have a fulfilling, enjoyable writing experience, even for the long term. you know, you can go your whole life using steel nibs and have an absolute blast and you know do it very affordably so um that said when you get into gold nibs you get into some other you know aspects of the pen whether it's design or theming or limited edition type stuff you get into some cool materials and other things that will then pair with a more expensive pen so there will be aspects of going to a gold nib that you'll inherently you know have other options as you step into that price range but if you're talking specifically about the nibs, I don't think it necessarily has to be such that you are using gold nibs to get a great writing experience. Um, so my thing, if you've never used a gold nib ever at all, try to use one. Try to, if you have somebody you know or there's a local pen club or you're able to go to a pen show, just try to use one once. You know, Try and get a couple different pens, some iconic ones if you're aware of them. I'm a big fan of the pilot nibs because they have good flow and some springiness to them. So you'll get a really good representation of, you know, what gold nibs do and what makes them different going with the brand. They're also pretty affordable compared to a lot of other gold nibs out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pilot's got a a number of good entry level gold nib pens. So if you're able to try the E95S, the Custom 74 Mm -hmm. and the Vanishing Point are all all three right there. Yeah. Sailor's nibs tend to be a little stiffer, though their bigger nibs are good. Even with like Pelican, like some of their gold nibs on the smaller pens are not as springy and distinctly different uh, as some of the steel nibs out there. Now, if you're getting into the M800, M1000, you start to see some more of the bounciness. And you get that with some of the sailor, like 21 karat nibs, the king of pens nibs, those get bigger, but that's, those are significant investments. Um, so I, that, I've always been a big fan of the Custom 74. That was one of my first gold nib pens. And that was the reason I love the Custom 74 and why I've talked about it so much in the past is because that was kind of the aha pen that clicked with me. And I was like, 
you know, I'd been using fountain pens for a year and a half or so before I started using that one regularly for myself. And up until that point, I don't know that I would have necessarily been able to feel or even articulate much of the difference between it. But I had at that point enough experience using steel nib pens where I was able to truly use and appreciate. And I was like, aha, uh-huh, okay, this is kind of what people are talking about. You know, sort of like if you're, I don't know, if you're like tasting wine or something like that. Like me, I don't taste a lot of wine. If I have a really expensive sip of wine, I'm not going to say bottle because I never buy a bottle of wine, but if I have a really expensive sip of wine, I'm like, yes, this tastes better than the $5 bottle of wine that I normally would taste, but I, I can't tell you what makes it better or why. And I can't tell you why a $30 bottle is better than a $12 bottle. I just don't have the palate for that. So I think kind of using that similar kind of vibe in the fountain pen world, if you have a variety of steel nibs and you can identify you're in, you just the feel and what makes those nibs feel different in your steel nibs and you have your own preference and you can really get a sense for the shape of the ball of the nib. If you have used them enough to where you can really distinguish between the pens that you have right then, you're probably at a place where you could use a gold nib pen and actually be able to kind of feel some of the difference. I'm not going to say that everybody would appreciate a gold nib just right off the bat because it's something that it, it's sometimes more subtle. Uh, but if you're really invested and you have a lot of experience with it, you would you would appreciate and notice the fine differences just like you would, you know, a lot of other things like a nice set of golf clubs or a nice tennis racket or, you know, a car with a specific type of handling or something, a responsiveness or whatever. You know, if you don't use these things very much, you wouldn't necessarily be able to tell or appreciate the difference, but you would if you have a certain level of experience. So I think give yourself time, uh, you know, and get to know your pens really well. And if you can feel that difference with the pens you have, even the, some of the lower price pens, then you may be ready to to appreciate those golden pens and it might be worth checking out. Or you could try getting like getting one secondhand or something, you know, especially if it's a more affordable pen. If you don't have a lot of money to invest, you don't have to buy something brand new. You can maybe get something secondhand off somebody or get a vintage pen. Might be a, a good foray to at least get to experience it before you like really feel like you need to go nuts on some golden pens. There you go. Yeah, and I and I, I love what you said there at the beginning, Brian, about mm. the actual graduation aspect mm. and kind of the myth that that is the progression. That you know, if you want to have a better pen, you need to go with a gold nib, and that's not always the case. Mm-hmm. It's it's very much preference based. I mean, I'm certain that there will be at least one person here in the YouTube comments. If you want to scroll down, somebody's going to say, "I prefer steel nibs," and that's. Mm-hmm totally common that's totally fine it is it's a preference thing so like brian said just identify what your preference is and you'll be able to figure out whether or not that is going to be uh for you or not there you go but definitely don't feel like you need to make the jump in order to you know progress further into the hobby you know it's not it's not a necessity by any means absolutely all right that's it for q a that we have this week thank you everybody for submitting those questions if you have questions for yourself, go ahead and ask them in the comments and we will gather them up and uh, possibly answer them in the future. Uh, But we're going to move on now to our tip of the week. All right. Well, I have been tasked this week by Drew to do a tip of the week on one of my iconic pens here, the Lamy 2000. Um, didn't choose that specifically for this reason you can do this trick on a lot of different pens but it was just this is one of the ones that benefits from it the most um so basically if you have a pen like the lamy 2000 
or like some of the Pelican pens, they're piston-filled pens. Um, the pistons move up and down. Uh, you can actually do this on converters as well, um, especially because converters used to be able to disassemble more. A lot of them have moved to be non-disassemblable. So this is actually a trick that works really well for converters too. A bit of a side note, but um, basically you have the piston moving up and forth, up and forth. Wow. That's it. Back and forth, up and down. Uh, you're doing it a whole bunch. As you're using it over time, just naturally, you're going to get some friction in there. The lubricant that was put in there from the factory is slowly going to degrade over time. It happens basically with every single pen. A pen like the Lamy 2000, I don't like taking the piston out of this pen. You know, I'm, Don't do it. I'm able to do it on other pens, but this one, it's really not very user serviceable. No, and we and some of you might say, oh, well, I can do it just fine, and it might feel that way, but trust mm. us, we have done it many, many times earlier on in the lifespan of our company. The the um, the threads or the, you know, whatever you want to call those little, the threads on the piston rod itself mm-hmm. are very, very flimsy, and in order to take it out, you need to be able to skip over a few of those threads, and when the piston knob skips over those threads, it bends them. Or it very well can bend them easily. If it doesn't bend them the first time, it'll bend them the second or the third. It'll eventually happen if you do it enough times. And then eventually those top sets of threads will wear out and it won't catch on those threads anymore. So please don't do it. Yeah, exactly. I've seen videos online of other people doing it. And they basically just take and they over rotate the cap and you can hear the like clicking. And and I'm like, oh my gosh, you can maybe do it once or twice and then you're going to destroy it that piston yeah. rod like with with like the ahab creeper or something like that it's made to do that so the threads yeah. on the piston rod are very robust mm-hmm. and they're shallow the ones on the 2000 are very thin and they're longer yeah they're not meant for that yeah um or a brand like twisby i mean they literally give you a wrench and instructions on how to remove the mechanism out of the back yeah. so that makes it really easy to lubricate the piston um, and maintain it but for pens that you can't easily disassemble or you just question your own ability to disassemble or whatever, um, the Lamy 2000 would fall into this. A lot of Pelicans would fall into this range. Um, very simple hack for being able to do this. Um, so the Lamy 2000 specifically, you can unscrew it um, at the little dog ears where the cap would normally sit on there. Uh, when you do that, ideally you want to keep the nib pointed down so that the little dog ear part, um, this ring, if you're near your sink, it's going to be like magnetized to want to go right down your sink drain. Uh, so you got to really be careful and hang on to this thing because they don't have replacements and it's pretty much can't cap your pen without yeah, it. If you, if, if you, if you were to unscrew this, like on top of a building or near a cliff, it will literally just jump. It off. will jump. It, yep. It's, it's absolutely it just wants to be gone. So you got to keep that thing there. But essentially what you're trying to do is remove that grip off of there. Um, and this will be the same concept. If you have a, a Pelican M whatever, you're, we're going to remove the nib unit out of there. Those have really relatively easy nib units to remove out of the pen. And then you have a nice big hole. I think Aurora pens, you can do that too. So there's, there's uh, options depending on the pen that are piston fill. Um, and what you're doing, rather than removing the piston mechanism entirely and trying to grease the piston seal, essentially what you're going to do is you're going to use a toothpick, a little bit of silicone grease, and you're just going to take and you're going to kind of spread that along the walls of the inside of the pen. And then by moving the piston back and forth, it's going to pick up some of that grease and it's going to make it a little smoother for you. So all you got to do is take your silicone grease. We do sell this. Um, I don't recommend using like a Vaseline or anything like that. I know some people do that for eyedropper conversions, but you're putting this actually in the pen. So it's best to go with, you know, 100% pure silicone grease. Um, 
and then this stuff is inert. It's not going to react with, you know, whatever the the lubricant is that the manufacturer put in there. Um, so you obviously do this when your pen is not filled with ink. You know, after you've cleaned it, ideally try to dry the inside of it as well. So take like a little paper towel and like twist the corner of it and get all up in there. Um, it helps if you move the piston all the way down as if you're filling it sort of like I have here, because then you, you've forced all the water that might be up there. You force all that to the opening and it's easier to clean out There's a little bonus hack there. Um, so once you've gotten that dry, you want to move your piston all the way up, get it out of the way, take, um, a toothpick. I like it cause they're thin and it's not going to leave residue behind. If you were to use something like, you know, a Q-tip or a cotton swab where you've broken off the end or something like that, you could have like junk in there, the wood toothpick. It's not going to scratch anything on your pen. So you're fine. And it's got a nice little pinpoint on there. So you can put just a little bit of grease on there. You don't want to get it on any threads or anything like that, that you're dealing with. You definitely don't want it to get anywhere where it would go onto the, the feed of your pen. Like it only takes a little bit of silicone grease to block your feed channel and it'll just kill the flow of the whole pen. Um, but anyway, so if you're just working with the back of the pen, you shouldn't have that much of a problem, but literally you just kind of take and you put it in there and then you just kind of rub a little bit along, you know, with the toothpick at an angle like that, rub it along the walls of the pen and you're just kind of getting it on there. You're not trying to spread it evenly or anything like that. Cause as the piston moves up and down, it's going to spread that grease out and you just need a teeny little bit teeny tiny little bit. You do that back and forth a couple times until it feels good. And probably just doing it once, you're going to feel great. And it's going to be just fine after that. But if you need a little bit more, just dab a little bit more in there, do that same thing again, and you're going to be good for probably quite a while. Um, so I like this trick a lot for piston fill pens like this, because you know, you're operating it a lot, especially when you're cleaning out the pen. If you change your ink colors a lot and you're constantly cleaning, you know, you might operate that piston 20 or 30 times. If you have a really stubborn color and you never clean your pens like I do, um, it's going to be stubborn in there. You're going to have to operate that piston a lot. That's going to wear out that lubricant more often. But me, just when I go in my cleaning process, especially if it's a full on hardcore disassemble clean, because you left your pen there for two years and haven't cleaned it out. Not that I know what that's like. Um, it's really just like one extra little step to do the toothpick and silicone grease thing. And then your pen just feels amazing. It's like night and day difference. It's incredible. I recently did this. I have a Pelican M1000 and I did it with that and it completely changed the way that that piston felt. Um, and I hadn't even used that pen that much. It's just over time, the grease kind of broke down a little bit, but totally just revived the feeling of that pen. And it was amazing. So that's my little, that's my little hack. All right. Uh, now we're gonna move on to our, our pen spotlight. All right, Drew, so you proposed that we spotlight another pen this week, which I thought was cool. And uh, yeah, everybody doesn't know this yet because we haven't published the video, but I am gonna be featuring a pen in an upcoming video. And this is one of those pens. It's in a listicle style that we're gonna do. It's the Pilot Custom Heritage 92, which I know you're a fan of this pen it's one of those pens that you know if i had the amount of money that this pen costs and said hey go buy a pen i wouldn't pick this pen mm. however i feel like it's a borderline injustice for this pen to be as uh overlooked as it is because it is an excellent pen it really is i i think and honestly if you asked anybody what's a, you know what what's a good pilot 
piston filler. They're going to just look at you like, wait, what? Pilot? This is the one. This is, yeah. this is the pen. Good this or, is the one. A lot of people don't even... It's the one. Right. <laughs> it's the one. And it's a, it is a good one. It's a little up there in price, but it's a great pen. It's a beautiful pen. It's it's basically a... um You know, so you've got Sailor, the Pro Gear, and the Rialo, right? Mm-hmm. This is Pilot, the Custom 74, and the Heritage 92. This is the kind of... the. The, the cousin that does the piston filler, you know, where yeah. Sailor has the Rialo, Pilot has the Heritage 92. Well, and it's weird because pistons, man, they vary all over the place because you have like Noodler's pens and Twisby's and, you know, pens like that that are in a very affordable price range that are quite reliable piston fillers. And then you have other brands where they don't have piston fillers until you get into the hundreds, maybe 500 plus, you know? And it's like, okay, is piston like really valuable or is it not i don't really know it's definitely more complicated to engineer piston pens and they're not perfect for everybody you know the thing i'll say is like i change my ink colors a lot i keep many pens inked at a time i'm not like a dead set on having a piston filler or a pen with a really high ink volume because that's not just really how i use my pens from a practical standpoint often even if i have a piston filler I'm only filling it a third or halfway because I know that's just more for that thing to dry out. <laughs> and I'm going to be cleaning it anyway and changing the ink colors because I have access to a lot of inks. It's not necessarily for everybody. I think if you're using a lot of ink, then, you know, it's definitely ideal to use a piston or a vacuum or something with a high ink capacity because this is less often you have to fill your pen. Um, however, you know, the interesting thing about this and where I'm split on the Heritage 92 is... Aesthetically, I think it's really cool. It's a flat top. I actually do like the flat top aesthetic on this style of pen. Legitimately, I like this style more than the Custom 74, which sounds like blasphemy because I've talked about how much I love that pen. But I, I never inherently love that pen purely because of its aesthetic. I think it's cool and it's got a lot of things going for it. But I think if I had like a more of a flat top on the custom 74, it would be an improvement. Um, not that I don't like it. Okay. Don't, don't bend it too much, but I do think it's really cool. Um, but on the custom 74, you have that magnificent con 70 converter drew, which as you know, oh, man. is just the highest incapacity converter that you can pretty much get out there. So you're getting a, about a mil, a little bit over a mil of ink with that converter and you're frankly not getting very much more. I think you're getting like 1.2 or something like that with the piston on the Heritage 92. So while the Heritage 92 will get you a greater ink capacity than most other cartridge converter pens because the Custom 74 takes that Con 70 converter, you're not necessarily buying yourself a lot. Unless you just truly hate the Con 70 like Drew and you'd rather have a piston, then it's totally worth it for you. But you're not necessarily buying yourself a lot of ink capacity. Now, the thing I will say is you're buying yourself aesthetics because when you have ink sloshing around in that con 70 you can't really see what's going on you get that weird rod in there and it's just there's all kinds of things happening you're looking at it through the pen body and through the converter you can't really see the ink sloshing as much when you have the ink in the body of the heritage 92 especially if you have like a shimmering ink or something like that you get to see all that glorious ink sloshing around in there so that is much more satisfying but it's got a very you know, very smooth very smooth piston as well it does it's a very it's a, it's a very pleasant pen and the nib the writing experience is the, exactly the same it's same nib feed everything is a custom 74 so that's a good thing because it's hard to get much better than that 
but it's also because it's so close to the Custom 74 in terms of most of its functional aspects of the pen, it's hard to justify a $60 price difference. So I think if there was a little bit less of a price gap and you had some, you know, more interesting colors in the Heritage 92, I think the pen would be far more popular. But I don't know. It just hasn't. Really yeah, you could say that you could say a lot of the pilot. same things. Uh, you could say a lot of the same things with the Riello, right? Uh, you know, it's about you know yeah, same what, thing. 50, same 50, deal. Fifty dollars yeah. more than the Pro Gear. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you wanted that capacity, I mean, it really is all about capacity. It. I mean, it, it's a neat looking yeah. pen, but it doesn't look vastly different than the seventy four. Um, yeah. But uh, I will say, Brian, which clip do you prefer oh. in the pilot library do you prefer the little ball clip or do no. you prefer the sword clip the sword clip it's so absolutely much yeah. right so much yes, that, that that's one of the re- so that that is also something that it has going for it it does have that True. sword clip like True. like the 912 does hmm. um it's a slick clip so i have to give it props for that yeah. and i will say that if you are going to get like kind of this is my one pen hmm. you know a you know you know <laughs> a piston filler is a good is a good choice because it is going to be able to last you a good long time. If mm. you're going for quality over quantity, if you're not a serial mm. hobbyist and you don't want a fountain pen collection, sticking with a pen that uh, is just going to hold a lot of ink for you to just do your do your writing with, if that's your goal, then you might want a piston pen. You might not be in the market for trying out a bunch of different inks. I certainly am. Again, I just don't want to have to deal with piston pens. I like cartridge converter pens because I do change my ink a lot. Mm-hmm. We've got 700, 800 inks right through these walls. So yeah. I'm like, I need to try that. You know, mm-hmm. But that's me personally. If I didn't work here, I wouldn't be tempted by that as much. So maybe True. I would just say, this is my color. I just need a lot of it. I am a huge journaler. I an aspiring novelist. I just need to write a lot. In a custom mm-hmm. uh, Heritage 92, it would be a great choice. Yeah, very solid. Though you said if you're not a serial hobbyist, who's here in that's not a serial hobbyist? Like, is that even <sighs> possible? There, 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 there are definitely fountain pen fans that are not serial hobbyists, but I don't know if they're listening to this pen cast. True, true. Yeah, I've definitely met them. I've definitely met, like, you know, we, yeah, we've yeah, yeah. sold pens to people like, this is my one pen. I might get a second one one day. But they just have their pen. They use it every day. Mm-hmm. But they're they're good. They're good. This is this is their end all be all. And I love that. I think that that's a great thing to have. I don't know what kind of life that is. I don't. I have no experience with that in any aspect of my life. Being a serial serial hobbyist. Um, yeah. I don't know what that's like. I Does that mean into, you collect cereal? Some, yeah, I, I do like different <laughs> types of. You know, me. I mix like three different types of cereal together when I eat breakfast in the morning. Oh I can't God. even do like just one type of cereal. I want to try different types of cereal. I like customize the texture of my cereal. And I usually do blueberries in it too. It's a whole thing. It's a whole process. I mean, I've seen several of your bowls of food that have no rhyme or reason to them. There's, they're just like... Oh, there's a lot of rhyme or reason. It's just, I don't know. I like Explain to... that. What is the <laughs> rhyme or reason? What, behind the cereal? No, no, no. Behind your, like, you don't, your result is not to say, I'm going to find out how well all of these things combine. You're just saying, I want this thing and this thing and this thing, and they will all end up in my bowl together. But, like. You make it sound like I'm just randomly putting stuff in there. No. What about, what about that salad, like, salad bowl with, like, like, just random things sticking out of it? Like. Yeah, so I was iconic back in, I haven't done this as much recently. 
back in my days when I was really trying to lose a lot of weight, I was eating like basically just like a rabbit. Um, but I would make up my salads in these like giant, you know, like Tupperware type containers. I would make them all on Sunday and they would last through the whole week. So I could still just do my crazy work day, but not have to like take time to prepare salads. Cause that just takes forever. I would do it all on the weekend and then I would just grab a huge salad I don't know. I just like a lot of different things in my salad. I'm a big fan of the cob salad. I, I like a lot I, I, of stuff, I wish, a lot of different flavors. And I would have like I wish I could, all kinds I of could, stuff in there. I mean, I can't remember, but I, I swear that we've gone, we've have, had a meeting or something. I would and have you've like, come a in spring, with like, like a spring mix lettuce with, I would have like deli turkey and ham in there. I would have some kind of crunchy thing like a crouton or, or little pine nuts or like these types of things in there, but those would get soggy. So I'd have to keep them in a separate bag. I would have some kind of cheese, but that would get soggy too. So I'd keep that in a separate bag. So I would have all this stuff. It'd be like a whole production line of salads yeah. for the week. You'd take up a good portion of that counter in the kitchen. I would, I would do that. No, it would take like five minutes to dump it all in the bowl and I mix it up, but I was really hungry and I'm eating lettuce. So I would have to eat a lot of it to actually feel full. And then you're chewing for like 45 minutes straight. <laughs> And I would, I would just get tired. I would get tired of eating before I'd get full, and I would just stop. It was basically like a football helmet full of salad. Yeah, I would use like what like, that, a, like a two quart mixing bowl or some like gigantic. Yeah, it's, it's like thing. it's like when, when does when does when does a, a bowl become large enough to become a bucket? It was arguably a bucket. I think a bucket <laughs> does a bucket have to have a handle? Can you have a bucket without some sort of handle? Believe it or not, my wife and I actually discussed this recently, and. I don't know why, what do you mean? but we settled on no, it doesn't. What do you mean, believe it or not? This is 100% a conversation I would imagine you two having. <laughs> you said we no, it doesn't. Did. You can have a bucket without having a handle. Well, actually, the, the, the top, what we discussed was when does a cup become a bucket? Oh. Um, hmm. Because a cup is more like just traditional bucket shape. But uh, hmm. but no, no, we... Hmm. we uh, okay. No, we, we found a bucket without a handle, so... But it had a handle. It was supposed to be handled. It was designed no, no, no. to be handled. no. No, no, no. no. There, no. There's a, there's, there are buckets without handles out there. Why? I don't know. That just sounds inconvenient. Well, <laughs> sure, a bucket with a handle would be more convenient, but... Yeah. Anyway, speaking of the custom Heritage 92... <laughs> yeah, what, what, what were we talking about? Oh, okay. Cool. All right, well, anyway, solid pen. I, I'm not surprised it doesn't get more love, but I definitely... I do think it's a great pen that's worth considering if the specific factors at play are important to you. That's kind of where I stand with that one. All right, so now that we talked about whether buckets should have handles or not from the Heritage 92, uh, we're gonna move on to what's happening. Now, the, the segment where we truly talk about nothing relevant. All right, Brian. Um, so I told you last week that my eight-year-old Archer had his birthday party over the weekend. Yeah. And that happened. He is he successfully turned eight. All right. So we have successfully parented for another successful year mm. without... Uh, successfully? You know, he's, he's, he, he's surviving. Mm. He's surviving. Time will tell whether he's living. He's alive. You, he's alive. I consider that a victory. You've met the bare minimum. I've surpassed my own expectations. All right. And then, uh, so it was a Ninja Turtle-themed birthday party. I attempted to make cakes that looked like pizzas, and I, I will give myself a solid 7.8 out of 10. I'm, I was I was happy with those. Nice. They, you know, um, they definitely didn't look like pizzas, but they looked like... I think they look like pizzas. I mean, they didn't fool anybody is what I'm saying. Like, no <laughs> one thought they were pizzas. not going to fool but, anybody. But, oh, I mean, I, I I follow some Instagram accounts that like have disturbingly accurate cakes. Like it's no, it's they're fakes. 
They're not real. It's Instagram. Somebody just they took cut a, into them. Somebody just, nah, fake. It's Photoshop. Oh, oh, dude. Nah, I don't believe it. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. All right. I'll so Brian's giving me a 10 it. out of 10. Oh, well. They look they look tasty. But yeah, so I did the cake thing. I was happy with it. Obviously, the kids, they loved it. They're like, oh my gosh, it looks like a pizza. We got some pizza boxes to put them in, so really sold it. Um, mm. Shannon helped me uh, grate the white uh, chocolate into looking like cheese, so we grated it with a cheese grater, used um, fruit roll-ups. Uh, the fruit leather did not look good as pepperoni. Mm. That was way too brown, mm. so we, we went with the fruit roll-ups. I had to cut around the tongue tattoos. So, um, uh, yeah, the fruit roll-ups come with tongue tattoos now. They were the only ones I could find. So um, I had Weird. to cut around the tongue tattoos to, you know, create the circles. But overall, I thought it looked fine. Shannon was looking at the pizza. She's like, it needs something green on it. And I was like, well, that wasn't the plan. She's like, no, we need green, like like oregano or something. So she went into the closet. And of course, I had a nerd rope in there because I'm, I'm, in, I'm into the nerd rope situation. And so she took all of the green nerds so with, like, a, with a, twe- like with a tweezer. She picked them off and then added them. She's like, there you go. Now it's got seasoning. That's so, Eight-year-olds are not going to notice that. No, absolutely not. We were just, we were totally <laughs> in it for ourselves at that point. That's fun, though. So, yeah, it was it was novel. I think we did all right. I thought for a second there you um, were going to say you just, like, dumped some oregano on it. <laughs> no. I was like, done. Boom. I mean, like, we could have. Daddy, this one, cake one of the, kind of funny. <laughs> one of the kids really did think it was cheese, though, so I was proud of that. I was like, yeah, one of them has cheese on it, but uh, I don't know, it might be mm. yours. T- There's some cheese mixed out. in there with that chocolate. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that Saturday was a crazy day, and then Sunday we did nothing, and it was amazing. So mm. um, I, I just I played a lot of video games. I finished the Mass Effect trilogy, so those were three games that were kind of older, but they remastered them, so mm. I went through those again, loved them, loved every second of it. And then I moved on to another game that I had played before, Red Dead Redemption 2. And that game is like, I, I think it's like one of my favorite games of all time. Easily top three. I, I was just playing it yesterday, and you're just a cowboy roaming around doing cowboy things. And you're in your camp, and you can pour yourself a little bit of coffee and just kind of like walk around and drink it out of one of those little tin silver cups. Uh-huh. And I had play, I'd played this game before, Brian, and yet I discovered that I can actually walk around with the coffee i'd always just stood there by the campfire and just Mm. you know but then i'm like oh i'm walking i'm walking and drinking my coffee i'm like i wonder if i can sit down at this table and i sure do and i'm just sitting there looking around wow looking at the trees drinking my coffee i know this sounds dumb because video games are supposed to be exciting but i'm telling you this is my this is my type of game i like these environmental games where i just get because i play it late at night i'm I'm doing Mm. this from like 10 p.m to 1 a.m like this is that's my gaming time um and I'm just like, this is fine. I'll play until I fall asleep. And then I'm like, all right, I'm nodding off, so let me go upstairs and hit the hay. But, ah, oh, so good. And we're watching um, the Daniel Craig James Bond movies, too. So we started with uh, we started with Casino, watched Quantum, took a break because Quantum really took the wind out of our sails because it's Quantum and it's we not just, very good. We just don't really talk about that um, one. No, we had we watched it. We watched it. It was, it was what I remembered it. Nah. But then, uh, like, two nights ago, we watched a... Um, uh, 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 Ugh, Adele, what did she say? Skyfall. Um, we watched one. Skyfall. That and, oh cool. my gosh, good. so good, so, so good. good. Oh man. So we're uh, gonna hit Spectre next, and then we'll finally watch the new one that neither of us have seen yet. So um, excited is that, is about that. Is that out that. yet? Is that out yeah, yet? it's out. It's out on 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 physical media even. Ooh. Yeah. I have to check that out. That's like one, yeah. pretty much like Bond movies and Fast and Furious movies. Those are the ones that Rachel and I. We'll see 
while it's still newish. Well, how about like that? we might go to a place to see? Might <gasps> go to a Whoa. place to see it, or like buy it or rent it or something like that. Otherwise, it's like whatever. I'll watch it when it's on one of the various subscription services that we already have. Yeah, you know, I will not skip over it if it's recommended to me, and I'm looking for something to watch and have no better. Reason I will not, not to. dodge it if it is yeah you know pummeling toward my face. Yeah, yeah. pretty much, pretty much. Great nice that sounds exciting yeah i've never done i've never done the like hey this this next movie's coming out so let me like pre-watch the ones leading up to it i always like i get the appeal of doing that but i'm like i barely have the time and interest to watch the movie let alone the predecessors i always do that i mean i did that with ghostbusters recently too i watched you know ghostbusters one and two before the new one uh, power to you i i I do it when i can and sometimes we Mm -hmm. do it with um uh, we did it with The Witcher before the second season came out. We mm. watched all the episodes of the first season. Okay. Um, a lot of the times it's just because I have a terrible memory and I need to remember what happened. Oh, well, that's last true. One. I also have that, but I don't yeah. make the time to rewatch them. So I'm just like... You lack memory and time. I just yeah. lack memory. And then, I, then I'm watching it and I'm like, didn't this already happen? And Rachel's like, no, it was like three movies ago. I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. Look at explosions. <laughs> <laughs> Fast cars, you know. Anyway, good guys beating up bad guys. Um, that happens. Yeah. So, uh, okay. My stuff. Is it time for me? Yeah. Are you done? Are we, are we done with you? I'm done. That was literally everything I did. Okay. That's cool. I had a pretty lazy week myself. Not really. I didn't. A less memorable, whatever, crazy week. Um, we did get some requests for me to show Joseph's artwork again. I don't know what I did last time where people want to Put it in front of your face. Because remember, the screen gets, the screen's thin. In front of my face. There is, there yeah. is Joseph's stitch that he did for me. <laughs> But yeah, I'm trying it, to show in, the, it in a way that people can in, see. In it the all. video, in the video, the fountain pen part was cut off, so you, no one saw the pen. Oh, okay. It's weird because I record this and I see my full frame, but then in post, when we have both of us on one screen, yeah. So I really don't have a sense for how much of me is showing at any time. But anyway, so there's Joseph. It's basically just thing. you. So if it's in front of your head or your body, okay. people can see it. All right. So I put it in front of my face. Yeah, that's right. And you'll be happy. Okay. Um, <laughs> the last week for me was kind of a blur. Like, I literally sat down to do these notes, and I was like, has it been a week since we did Pencast? Like, I don't even know what's going on. And we recorded last week's on a Tuesday, too, so technically it's been eight days. I don't know. It's kind of kind of a blur. Um, one notable thing that I did do is I cleaned some of my pens. I don't know what, I don't know why. I think I just, I've talked about it so much on the Pencast where I was finally just like, all right enough is enough like i'm sure i have some pens that need to be cleaned unfinished business yeah and so i i pulled out some <laughs> pens and i gotta say it had, it had been too long obviously oh really it had been too long since i just made it a commitment to do that i actually really enjoy the process i do i like pens i like taking them apart i think they're really cool i like you know taking the old crusty ink and getting it out of there and getting it all clean and you know, getting the grease on the piston and getting it moving smooth again. I don't know. It's very restorative. I, I do find that process appealing. I'll put on like whatever YouTube videos of people doing crazy outdoor activities or whatever historical events of the past or something. I just put on random stuff. My YouTube watch list is you're like, what insane person is watching all these random things? That's what my, my YouTube history is. Um, you know, so I'll put stuff in the background that I can just kind of zone out a little bit as I spend time with my pens. And it was pretty cool. So I started doing that. I cleaned, 
probably about a dozen and a half pens. I mean, I really went kind of on a tear. Um, but uh, as soon as I started doing it, I was like, hey, Rachel, I'm finally cleaning some pens. The next words that come out of her mouth were, do you, do you, want, do you want to clean some of mine? Because <laughs> she hasn't cleaned her pens either. She famously, I think, has cleaned like one pen ever because uh, I clean all her pens for her. Maybe that's why I haven't wanted to clean any pens, Drew, because it's not oh just cleaning God. my pens. I'm cleaning like double duty. So she hands me this whole cup of pens. All, all, pretty much all Twisby Ecos. Yeah, most of them. Yeah. She's a big fan of the Eco Broad, and she has different colors, and she puts the ink to match the colors and all that kind of thing. So she, she hands me the cup, and she says, remember how much you love me. She <laughs> 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 just hands me all these pens, and I was like, yes, dear. I love you. This many pens worth. Um, so anyway, I've been working on those. I haven't finished all, all of the pens, but I'm slowly chipping away at them. But Twisbees are, I mean, getting handed a couple of Twisbees to clean, it's pretty easy because you, you're like you're cleaning the same style of pen one mm-hmm. after the other and you can like almost turn off your brain and just like and i know exactly what to do with the twisbees like i'm i'm gonna like loosen the piston just a little bit because these are all crustified like they're all like these are complete restorative cleans this is not a gentle cleaning this is a whole experience so break the piston because it's got crusty ink on there get the wrench in there untwist it take that bulb syringe a little bit of slightly lukewarm water with some dish soap in there loosens things up a little bit and just blast a few bulb syringes through that bad boy. And usually did that's you, usually that's enough. Depending on Did you lose any of the uh gaskets in the barrel when you pulled out the assembly? No. Oh, none of them stayed in? No. Oh good. Oh, oh, oh. You you're talking like the piston seal with the yeah. whole rod and everything? Oh yeah, definitely. No, a couple no, times. No, no. Ju- no, not the rod, just the rubber. No, they all stay I mean, I lost the rod on a couple of them because they were all the way down. But they were like really kind of like adhered in there, yeah. And I was trying to like force it out. No, it I've didn't. I've had some that were so stuck in there that the rod popped free of the rubber and the gaskets just. Popped oh wow, there. no, I didn't have um, that. I didn't so have that. you need to you need to use like a uh, um you know either an extended uh, un- unfurled paper clip mm. or a uh, Peniter snorkel filler. Or actually, now Twisby has their own. Um, the Twisby pipe, which actually fits in there perfectly. Hey, so there you go. You can you just shove it out through the other end. Nice. Okay. Yeah, I didn't have any that were that bad. So wow, I okay. count myself lucky on that one. Nice. Uh, but yeah, so I pulled all those well, out. You did. You did. Them. You did uh, also encounter a an uncleaned Lamy Dialogue CC, though, didn't you? <laughs> I did. Technically. <laughs> oh my gosh. So yeah. So. <sighs> So Drew and I, Drew, Drew and I shot a couple of videos, not together, but you know, I have a style of video using a dual cam kind of setup and record it in one shot, and we can switch between the overhead and the face. You know, you've probably seen that style of video, um, and we have that set up at the office. And so I was showing Drew like kind of how I do that. So I had a video prepped that was just basically a solo video of mine that we haven't published yet, um, but it's going to be about you know filling the the Dialogue Three Dialogue CC, and. Uh, I was doing that, and of course, I've been talking so much in the pencast about how much I don't clean my pens. So I have the Dialog CC, and I'm in there, and I'm going to ink up the pen. To- while he's recording. While I'm recording. Uh, totally didn't realize that I had the pen inked up at some point. I don't think I had a lot of ink in there. I think it was just a little bit, because I had I had just like either dipped it or something, but I didn't really realize that it had been inked. And when I went to ink it and write with it, I was like, this ink is supposed to be brown and it looks kind of blue. (laughs) And then I realized like, oh, 
yep, I'm going to reshoot this. <laughs> so I totally <laughs> forgot to clean out my pen. Inked it up with the new ink, with the old ink still in there. And I was like, hmm. I mean, the point of the ink was more demonstrating how to fill the pen. So it still accomplished everything, but totally had it was some just, crusty It was ironic ink. because like, I'm never in there when you're shooting videos. And it just so happens I oh, was right there when a, it happened. It's humbling, isn't it? Because you <laughs> you watch the uncut versions of the videos and you're like, this guy has no idea what the heck he's doing. Like, what in the world? But there's a lot of details. You know, there's a lot of little parts and pieces. And you oh, there, I'm right, just know. glad that I was but, there to... Uh, <laughs> I was glad. I was glad to have witnessed that one. Yeah, that was pretty classic. That was, uh, you know... Iconic. Yeah, it is what it is. But yeah, normally I would have like, spend a little more time and try to clean up. But it was more like I need a video to shoot to demonstrate to Drew how I would shoot this style of video. It was a little less of, you know, let me make sure everything looks pristine and my pens are oh, clean. It was, it was all for, it was for me. Yeah. It was for me. Oh, oh I see. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um, so I did clean some pens. Um, also very excited, Drew, because um, I'm a big fan of the Cadbury mini eggs. Oh, me too. They're really only available, you know, like pre-Easter time. Oh, I'm a huge fan of those. They go great with coffee. Yeah, I completely missed them last year. Didn't get a single one. And uh, so I saw them. We were walking through Target with our kids. And I saw them and I grabbed one bag. And I've eaten almost the entire bag, so I grabbed three more. So I'm going to make sure that I'm not missing out this year. In fact, that's what I've been snacking on, this whole pencast of... Oh, they're so good. People I like to seen me I like to put one in my mouth and then drink coffee and let mm, the coffee let it melt it. Like yeah. Well it melts the inside of it. Yes. The, the candy shell still retains it. Yes. But then the inside is melted, so you bite into it and it's just like chocolate explosion. So oh, good. So the good. best. Big fan. Big fan of these. Yeah. So yeah. You know, there's no affiliation, but I just oh, I like chocolate. Any chocolate in any mm. form is pretty good. So anyway, I'm excited about those. Um, and then I have this little bit of outdoor adventures. I mentioned how I have that really swampy, nasty area next to my creek. Well, I decided I'm, I dug a bunch of trenches by hand to try to divert the water. I don't know where the heck that water is coming from. It's literally like seeping out of the side of the hill. It's not like rushing down this hill or whatever. It's not a big hill. It's like a few feet. But like... I dug trenches to divert this water and like standing water is happening like above where I dug the trench. And I'm like, how does this work? Like what is going on with this water? So I think it's actually like leaching like through the soil, like through the hill and kind of coming down and it's like not all diverting. And I was like, this is, this is ridiculous. Mm. So I was like, I'm just going to throw a bunch of crap on top of it. That way I can get across it. So I threw a bunch of logs on top of it. And it's such a muddy, nasty mess when I tried to, like, drive over top of it and stuff. All the logs went every which way. And I was like, screw it. I'm going to build a log bridge. So I have this completely impromptu-looking log bridge that I am now assembling on top of this muddy, nasty mess. It is the least planned-looking thing I've probably ever built. You've but, built small bridges on your property, though, before. Yeah, I built, right? like, nice bridges with, like, pressure-treated lumber and all this kind of stuff that are going to last. That is not what this is. This is, <laughs> like, I have, like, cut down a bunch of trees over time on my property, so I'm just going to not cut them up into small logs. I'm going to take the longer, like, eight-foot chunks of tree, and I'm just going to, like, lay them and nail them. Like, I'm doing some, like, beams, and then I'm just, like, laying them sideways and nailing them into the beams, like over top of this muddy, nasty mess so that I can traverse across it 
hopefully like all I did, all I need is for this bridge not to fall apart. And as long as I can cross it, my goal will be accomplished. And I'm like, it's like 40 feet long that I'm trying to cover here. So it's like, I'm not going to buy lumber to try to do this, you know? So I'm like, I have trees on my property. I'm going <laughs> to just take the trees that I already have everywhere, especially because we have all these storms and stuff. I've had so many trees fall. I'm just going to cut up these logs, lay them down, try to nail them together and hope I can get across my muddy area. So I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing anymore, Drew. It's like, I'm so far I'm, beyond I'm, trying to justify these activities. Yeah. It's a little crazy, but I'm out there and, and Rachel's just like, what? She's like, what, are you, what, are you, what in the world? <laughs> She's like, what are you even doing? Anyway. See, there, there, there's your, there's your, you know, a James Bond rewatch time right there. That's exactly it. I mean, that's the time that normal people would spend on relaxing activities. My relaxing activities are just going out and doing shenanigans. Out Building in the mud bridges. I don't know. That's that's what I call fun. No, that th- sounds fun. Like it, it is creative problem solving, and that that yeah. does sound pretty fun. Well, it was cool. So, like my neighbor, my next door neighbor, had a bunch of trees that fell too, and he had all this brush and stuff that he was just gonna like try and get rid of or burn or something like that. But he's, he's an older older gentleman, so he had all these logs just like laying out there because he cut all the branches off, but he had the logs. And I was like, hey, those logs hmm. are just about the perfect size for what I need. I was like, are you gonna use those? He was like, no. He's like, these things are a huge pain. I need to burn them or something. I don't know what I'm going to do with them. I was like, you want me to take them off your hands? He was like, great. So it worked out for everybody. And I was like, do you need to put, um, do you, do you need to put some sort of uh, foundation beneath the logs so that the logs don't sink into the mud? I'm sure they're going to sink like, into the mud. The mud oh, will okay. be the foundation. <laughs> oh, okay. I wasn't sure if you were going to do sand or something like that. No. Nah. Okay. This is that that sounds way too formal for what I'm trying to do here. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. I'm trying to I'm trying to have like just to show you what I'm replacing. What I had previously done because it was such a swampy mess. I had a whole bunch of like brush and just like random like branches and stuff that I just like threw into a huge pile just so I could sort of walk over this mess. And it's like sort of held up not really. So I have this like net networked mesh of old brush and branches and crap already in there. And then I tried to throw logs on top, which ended up going every which way. And then <laughs> I've now So thrown, you've got a foundation already. I have a foundation of debris. Just Yeah, that works. Com- just complete random scattered debris on top of mud. And uh now I'm trying to throw a a, a somewhat connected pile of logs on top of it. So it's I mean, going to be like a like a Tom Sawyer raft on top of some mud. Basically, yeah. Imagine like <laughs> Tom Hanks and Castaway type of a vibe. That's, that's nice. what I'm trying to do over top of this mud. So we'll see. We'll see. My fear is I'm going to spend like all week doing this. And like the first time I try and like move something heavy across it, it's just going to completely fail. And I'll be like, so well, wh- that where, was a waste of time. Why is the bridge important? Like what is it leading you to? Well, I have a creek that runs through my property and I can't really do anything. I can, I can only walk. I can bring stuff by hand, but I'm trying to like be able to get some like, you know, slightly bigger equipment over there so that I can oh, okay. like do stuff with the trees and stuff over there. So you so need I, to drive heavy, heavy things over this bridge. Yeah, it's not heavy, but like, you know, heavy enough. Like your lawnmower and stuff? Yeah, I like that kind of stuff. You know, like okay. some, some light machine equipment. Um, okay, but, well, yeah, that needs to be a... Yeah, but I can't, I can't really do that. And the, literally the spot that I picked in retrospect was the worst spot that I could have done to try to cross. It ends up being the biggest muddiest spot. And I didn't realize that until I was already in too deep, quite literally. So ah. I've had fun living in the cold mud as I've crossed this bridge. I don't know, but it's kind of fun. It's like, there's no utilities there. 
there's nothing that I'm going to hurt. I keep using this word. I do not think you know what it means. (laughs) You know, it's like there's no there's very little consequence to whatever this ends up being. I'm having fun. I'm getting exercise. I'm outside. If a bridge, if a passable bridge comes out of it, great. If not, then I've just, you know, if you exercise, like if you go for a run, what have you accomplished other than exercise and like enjoying the process? That's it's just my version of that. There you go. Except I might get a bridge out of it. <laughs> I think I think we have a few um, um, like extra L's for desks that you could probably use back yeah, there. Right? <laughs> we got some we got some old storage equipment in the the Goulet, uh back corner that I could use. Yeah, those yeah. L's. Yeah. Anyway, cool. so that's, all right. That's my latest shenanigans. Maybe I'll try to nice. post a picture. It looks. Yeah, please do. It looks. Uh, I send these pictures to my family and stuff, and they're like, what the heck is this? Like, they, don't even, they don't understand what, even after I explain it, they're like, I don't even know what I'm looking at here. Because it's like, it's not very like photogenic or whatever, but I don't know. I'll try to post a picture and see if y'all can make any sense of what I'm actually trying to do. Oh my goodness. All right. That's it for the personal stuff. Um, we'll go on to the company updates here before we wrap things up. All right, company updates. Uh, just one small little update here. We are, you know, thankfully getting a little, little more caught up. You know, our team, we're, it's uh, turning out to be a pretty busy February for us, but we're thankfully having a little less impact from Omicron. And uh, our team is navigating the choppy waters pretty well. So we're able to stay on top of things. We still have the notice up on our site for like the two to three day shipping. We're able to stay on top of that, maybe be a little bit better, but... Still, day to day, we never know who's going to be out or what crazy things could be going on. So, you know, we have to uh, take it a day at a time. So um, not ready to fully commit to banging back to our regular speed, but we, we pretty much are or have been at least for a couple of weeks now. Um, but the one thing we do have notable is that we are going to be closed on Monday for President's Day. So if you're not in the U.S., you're like, what the heck is this even? Um, it's basically to celebrate our presidents. I guess. I don't know. It's a national holiday. We're going to be closed. Our mail service is closed. So we're taking the day as a company. So if you're trying to place an order, you still can. But if you're trying to get anything shipped out that day or contact our customer service team, we will ignore you because we are not working that day. We'll be spending time with our families, having president parties or whatever. I don't know. Do people do things on sure. President's Day? Mattress stores have sales usually. Yeah. Car companies and car dealerships usually have sales. Other than that, I don't know what it really is that's celebrated. But Yeah. My, my, anyway. my kid's off school, so I'll probably just spend the day getting shot with his birthday Nerf guns. Ooh, that sounds fun. Yeah. There's still a thing, huh, the Nerf guns? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There's, like, different types of them now. I, don't, I, I haven't really kept up much. There's like darts. There's small ones with balls that are like really aggressive. They're like, I forget what it's called. They're like little, they're yeah. like little wiffle ball type things. But yeah, he doesn't have those. Yeah, it's like age sixteen and up for those things. Oh god. Yeah, I've seen YouTubers that have like whole like forts set up with these things. I forget what it's called. Jeez. Some specific type of Nerf gun. Anyway, if you had that Nerf gun, please comment. Just, no, I don't know. he's not. He's not getting those. No. <laughs> Especially if all he does is shoot you with them. Oh my god! I mean, he 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 always hands me something, but obviously I have the crappy one. He gets the the good one. He gives me like a little yeah. Nothing. Well, you you know you have a little more experience, so you got to balance it out a little bit, right? Yeah, and I'll just actually throw the gun at him and teach him. <laughs> I'll, I'll show you. That's right. That's right. Oh yes, breeding lots of future <laughs> therapy for your son. 
You, you say you successfully parented into eight? Uh, at this hey, point? he's surviving. Yeah. He's just fine. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. All right, no, so that's he's it. good. Yeah, that's it for company stuff. Uh, now we're gonna, I guess, wrap things up at this point. That's right. All right. I want to thank everybody for watching. Please leave us some feedback about how we're doing, as long as it's good. I'm just kidding. Um, we're very fragile over here. Um, ask us questions so that we can answer them on future episodes because we're always looking for that. Um, be sure to check out gulepens.com for your fountain pen ink and paper needs. And don't know if you know this, but we put out videos regularly on YouTube so you could subscribe share those with others. You can check out Instagram and other places where we like to hang out. Uh, if you're listening to the audio version, you can email us at pencast at gulepens.com. And I have a random fact about <gasps> dogs. I don't know why. I like dogs. I have this whole spreadsheet of random facts and I was trying to share something I have, haven't shared before. And I think this is one of them. Um, so Drew, yeah, you like dogs. I like I do. dogs. I just don't have any. Um, but that's cool. I'm dog friendly. Um, so... Apparently, dogs can smell separately with each nostril. So just as your eyes, when you see, you compile two slightly different views of the world, and that gives you perspective, you know, your brain combines them to form a 3D picture. A dog's brain uses the different odor profiles from their two nostrils to determine where smelly objects are located. So their smell, their sense of smell is like 100,000 times more sensitive than humans. It's amazing. And they can actually use their sense of smell not only to get kind of a 3D picture of where the smell originated, but also get a sense of time based on the strength of the smell. That's why dogs are such good trackers, because they can tell where you come from and where you are going based purely on your smell. Isn't that crazy? That's insane. Crazy. Yeah. Crazy. I remember the Mythbusters episode where Adam Savage tried to escape a bloodhound by using, you know, various tricks like you know going through a, a uh, river. I never and, saw that. You know, covering up your scent. Yeah, he, you couldn't do anything. You can't escape. No, no. you're not gonna do dog's that. Dog's gonna dog's gonna get you. Hundred thousand times, man. So yeah. sensitive. I think the, the the only thing that I think that worked was like you know when he when they tried it in like a very busy city. Mm, you know, they, just like they did so many other smells. Yeah, yeah, that was it. the only that was the only thing that worked. Like they went to like mm. you know downtown San Francisco or something like that. And, oh, interesting. But hmm. other than that, like if you're trying to go into the woods and escape from a hound, no way, you're you're done. You smelled so different from everything else in the woods. Like, yeah, you're gonna stick yeah, out that dog's like a, gonna get you. Yeah, it's gonna get you. Crazy. Absolutely. Even if you change, even if you change clothes. Yeah, because like you have smell all over you. You smell of your yeah. smell. <laughs> not just your clothes your clothes are just absorbing the smell that you're now emitting. what if what if what if adam savage took like you know noodler's pens and rubbed it all over himself like Ooh, uh, do dogs like would... do dogs like the noodler's pen smell <laughs> do they find that appealing i don't know i don't have a dog know, a lot of people do a lot I don't of people have a dog, do so i can't experiment with this there you go there's your there's <laughs> i like your... how that's your reason there is your random your <laughs> the random only reason bit. you can't experiment with this is because you're not a dog no i don't have a dog you don't have oh sorry i think you said i'm not a dog so i can't no, no. well i'm also not a dog <laughs> but i don't have a dog readily at my disposal uh, to subject to noodler's pen smells to uh to see if they find it appealing or not i don't know maybe maybe uh our fan base out here can how great would give that us be some insights to what is the general consensus from the canine community about the appeal of a noodler's pen smell mm. that i'm curious about 
This, these I'm are the curious. questions we've like, all been asking ourselves. I hope it's like that. I, w- I would love for it to be like that thing with the cats and the cucumbers where like they turn around and see the cucumber and then just like flip out and jump up into the air. The dog smells a noodler's pen. They're just like, oh God, you know, that would make me so happy. Sounds like, uh, sounds like something we need to compile, put together. We're definitely mm-hmm. in the turkey hammock zone right now. We certainly are. All right, everybody. We have far surpassed having any useful information to share in this pencast. We hope you have a wonderful week until we catch you on the next one. Thanks for watching and ride on.